Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yeah. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'll, the Bachelor? Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, Organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral sleepy girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knudsen crushes only 100% real ingredients, so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. Clues. Underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc., You don't know what to expect, but now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies, and now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and (laughs) my, um, (laughs) which is not what this uh, ad is about, but I am also wearing the super soft sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, Me Undies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash roses. That's meundies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. Me undies, comfort 
from the outside in. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. So, two women dating one group of men. How's that going to work? Which woman gets to date which guy? Who chooses? And then what happens if both women fall in love with the same man? Honestly, I'm not really sure. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues Renewed. We are in the midst of a brand (laughs) new season. Bachelorette 19. It is historic. Two bachelorettes. The largest field of people they've ever had on Bachelorette, which is not true. That's a straight lie. Not really at all. Straight lie from uh, the producers, from Jesse Palmer, a.k.a. The Dark Lord. So we'll get into all of that, of course. But tonight's night one was very interesting for a wide variety of reasons. Not the least of which we saw a little cameo from GSJ and Serena Pitt in a Maybelline commercial right at the apex of the episode. I cannot wait to break that down because I was going insane watching it. I could tell that you were going to. I look very much forward to your impression. But before we get ahead of ourselves with night one, we have a couple pieces of business. Piece number one, we issue a second formal apology to a player from this season. This apology goes out to Logan Palmer. We accidentally reviewed the Instagram in our Instagram breakdown of the rookie players. We did the wrong Logan. Apologies to you. Your His real Instagram handle is at Logan Siegel. Thank you for uh, <laughs> being a good sport about it. He commented on the Game of Roses page about it. Found out today I'm a Mormon CrossFitter missionary prayer hands emoji, which I thought was an excellent (laughs) parasocial play. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you sincerely for being a good sport about it. We can't wait to cover all the plays you're going to make throughout the course of this season. We saw some very good play from the real Logan Palmer tonight. And our second piece of business is we have a limited edition merch. We are going to be selling a green version of our logo bag. This is the official color of abortion rights. And we are going to donate 50% of the profits to the National Network of Abortion Funds, which works with more than 80 local abortion funds across the country and distributes money according to the level of threat to abortion access in that area of the country. Every dollar donated to NNAF goes straight to a local fund. So get those at gameofroses.co. And now the time has come for us to break it all down. And there is a lot to break down. I think tonight, maybe more than any other night one in history, there's a lot to break down. We talk a lot about the sauce wars on our program. That is the... the (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) It is the escalation of the official Bachelor Nation podcast, upholding the lies, the narratives that the show promotes through the main game, through Paradise, but also through these podcasts about the nature of what the show truly is, that it's uh, a means by which people are helped to find their soulmates, their person, find love. And all of that, of course, is a lie. Tonight, 
The saw swords have been ratcheted to new heights. I cannot really fucking believe what we saw tonight in terms of producer manipulation, in terms of straight lies to the players, to the leads, to the audience. In terms of bullying a former lead. That shit. Oh, my fucking God. We will get to all of that. Wow. It's absolutely incredible. They will not let this man live. We're talking about, of course, Clayton Eckert, the Ultimate Viking, season 26's Bachelor. But we will get to all of that, rest assured, right now. And now, Pace Case and Bachelor Clues proudly present analysis of play in this week of our beloved game. This is Game of Roses. So here we go. Night one. It opens, as all episodes do of our beloved game, with a little promo. We see the two crowns spraying the guys down with champagne, twirling in white dresses. There's kissing, dancing in front of the Eiffel Tower. Some voluntary nudity plays. No rule book, we are told. There are massages on boats. Some more nudity. Diving into water. Hot tubs. Grandpa John's calling somebody a piece of shit. We see some beaches. We see jumping on couches on a football field. Very strange, but they got their football in. More dancing. We see meatball refusing. Rachel Recchi is Rose. Drama ensues. Gabby and Rachel are getting destroyed by guys going for the same bachelorette. There's tears all around. Life is so hard. I'm so done, one of them says. This is our fence jump moment. We see Rekia doing a squat cry. Perhaps that's our fence jump moment. And then DLP comes in and closes home the promo by saying it's the most shocking season of The Bachelorette yet. And it starts right now over the promo of them in the sports car. And that's how we open. That's the tone we're given here, that these two women will be destroyed, rest assured. Portion one begins with a beautiful drone shot over the mansion. And you know you're going to get a lot of drone shots. And they didn't disappoint. There were like 10 drone shots tonight. I can't wait to see the drone shots over the uh, cruise ship that we're going to see throughout the course of this season. We have the seventh crown and brand new host of The Bachelorette, Dark Lord Palmer, in this black suit. And he's whispering with this gentle tongue and this sort of dark energy while also sort of innocent is going to continue through this episode. I am fascinated with Dark Lord Palmer's evolution. Innocent? This is the devil incarnate. He doesn't even know what the rules are. He's like, what? How are we going to do this season? I don't even know. He knows. He knows it all. What I took from this little moment. He emerges from the shadows of the mansion, a sinister smile on his face. He welcomes us to this extraordinary season of The Bachelorette and explains that we're going to have two bachelorettes for the first time in history. That's all feigned innocence. There is something in his smile that he is savoring the suffering already that he knows is going to come. He got a taste of it in the final rose ceremony of season 26, and now he's back for more. He's back for this feast, the likes of which we have never seen. And he intros Recky as a flight instructor, and Gabby as an ICU nurse that has had all of America laughing. And he says, I'm so excited that they're going to get a second chance at finding love right here on this show. This motherfucker's eyebrow is flying off his goddamn face. This is a sign of deceit. It is so high. It is in the fucking trees. He knows even on night one, these two women are about to get fucking destroyed. The show is about anything but love. I like that he calls it an unusual quest to find <laughs> yeah. love. And I like to think he's like an innocent little elf coming with all of us on this journey. Oh my God. And he really hits, by the way, this sentence that they're the two most deserving women. And he continues yes. to victimize them with this language throughout this episode. We then 
go back in time. We're at the After the Final Rose announcement. We see Windekia hugging, celebrating the announcement. They keep holding hands and screaming. We get Gabby's grandpa, John, saying, you're going to do great. And Gabby's already the colorful narrator of this season, ITMing, I'm ready. She is just iconic right off the bat with these ITMs. Absolutely dominating. We discuss in one of our lives recently about the nature of the horse race that is Gabby, Wendy, and Rachel Reckia, who's going to come out of this with more Instagram followers. And we've predicted it's going to be Gabby, Wendy. She's going in with over 100,000 more. And I, I think just from night one, we can already tell that is going to hold true. I think she's going to run away with this almost immediately. And the gap is just going to keep increasing over time. In the promos and in what we've seen night one, Rachel Reckia is giving very wingman <laughs> vibes. Like, yeah, she is clinging on to Gabby. And but the show also might be putting them in that position and like purposely including some of that language. So, I mean, we'll see. But we then go back to the infamous rose ceremony from hell. We just see weeping. These are our two leads. No, they're both on the floor crying. And they sweetened it. They sweetened it. I know that you 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 don't listen to the audio that much. I have a lot of audio notes in here, mm-hmm. but they sweetened the sobbing. They put like some reverb on it to really fucking drive home. Like she's a victim. She does deserve this. Look at the pain that Clayton Eckerd, the ultimate Viking caused her. Not the producers. We didn't do that. That was Clayton. And now she's going to have her her redemption story. She deserves this. They added in a little Barbara wailing. Bud, bud. <laughs> Damn, that would have been great. My favorite screaming. But then we come from that and we go to Colorado Springs. We see a drone shot again over Gabby's home state. She's getting ready to leave. She's packing up. I noticed they did a hawk sound when they cut to Colorado. Of course. Anywhere that's like out in a desert realm, you're getting a hawk sound no matter what. The sounds that they put in over those fucking chickens, those little baby chickens that that dude carried in, I mean, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. But anyway, we see Gabby packing up. She says goodbye to her dog. And then we see Rachel's packing up. She's getting in her plane to fly out to L.A. all by herself. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we cut to Los Angeles. Popeye part two. Yeah, exactly. She's flying. Yeah. Gabby's on the beach and she's driving in this white Jeep. She looks up. And goes, oh my God, I think that's her. As we cut to a plane flying overhead, supposedly. And this is in the first one minute of the fucking show. We're already given a taste of the lies that the Bachelorettes are going to be forced to do in service of the season. That's straight fucking acting. The producers are like, drive in this car and pretend to look up and see Rachel Reckie's plane. And Gabby Wendy fucking does it. This whole season starts right here with this lie, and we're going to start to break down the lie that these two are actually best friends. That is also a lie. We will get to more evidence of why that is true, but the story the producers are spinning here is that these two best friends have nothing but the best of intentions for one another going on this journey together, and yeah, it may be rough, there may be a few bumps, but they're going to come out of it better for having been here with each other, and that just ain't true, and that's a lie that the producers tell players. It's a lie that the producers tell the leads to get them to be compliant. And it's also a lie that the producers are telling us through the leads. Oh, they keep having them add on. Like, I think Rachel Reckie at one point says, and the cherry on top was that I get to do it with Gabby at the same time. And it's like, God, absolutely not. And I mean, maybe that's why they're giving Rachel 
this sort of sidecar energy mm-hmm. in, to, to sort of justify the fact that they are having both of them do this. But I thought the way they do this whole segment was super interesting. And it reminded me of the beginning of Love Island a lot. Mm. They have them driving in on Jeeps. They have the women hug and jump and chest bump each other when they see each other and they see where they're living. It's like a castle. It It's supposed to show this dynamic duo friendship, best, best friends forever, but it also weirdly goes into this love story in itself. And then they're popping champagne, like two women on a honeymoon. And then off the balcony... Uh, They scream, bring on the men as we get some upbeat, inspirational music playing. So we're leaving portion one on this tone of anything is possible. These two best friends are together. Look at this crazy mansion they get to live in. Everything's going to be great. Then the first commercial in between portion one and portion two. (laughs) By the way, quick apology to Gabby's dog. Any other time you would have been my creature. Any other time. (laughs) <laughs> but not this time. This time there was a creature who stole the fucking show. I can't wait to get to that creature. Blanco, you know who you are. This commercial in this first break between Porsche 1 and Porsche 2 features the Aya Canetti's discussing the movie Where the Crawdads Sing. And they're acting here. They're, <laughs> they're on a date and they're like, we should just go see the movie again and whatever. The premise is that. Their acting's not too bad, I have to say. I've seen a short that they were in together. The acting there is atrocious. Here, seems like they've gotten a little bit better. And all I could think during this is the great one. Nick Vial is at home watching this, livid, fuming, sour grapesing. All he's thinking is, why didn't I get that fucking commercial? Because he was given a similar commercial uh, for Halo Top ice cream at one point. It's a popular form of commercial for bachelor couples to do. We've seen Jordan and Jojo doing that style commercial a lot. For Heineken, yeah. But I think the Nick Vial Natalie Joy relationship it's not going to play the same way where it's like this very (laughs) young woman and then it's just him being like I don't even know what a crowd ad is. You know what their commercial should be? It should be for one of those uh, pills that you take when you have a hangover and it's supposed to get rid of your hangover and it should be like them out at a club. And he, she's like, come on, let's keep partying. And she's like drinking and dancing. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm get, I'm really getting tired. I don't have the energy anymore. And then they wake up the next morning and she's like, let's go to the beach. And he's like, oh, my head. And he's got to take the pill to keep up with her. No, it's this one. He goes... You know, on my season, you know, we didn't even have crawdads yet. You know, it was just like before, before, you know, I was the bachelor and I did my little dinosaur dance and that's all you really needed. (laughs) He should do one for Jurassic Park where it's him doing his dinosaur dance and the big T-Rex comes to attack him. At any rate, it was an interesting commercial. We're going to get to another commercial later. (laughs) That was another bachelor couple. On to portion two. Oh, God. Okay, here we go. Portion two. We see various guys sitting around their TV screens watching the After the Final Rose from Ultimate Viking, Clayton Eckert, season 26, as the next Bachelorettes are revealed. And then in true NFL fashion, they all scream, let's go, when the Bachelorettes are revealed. So what are we to believe here? One of the men pounds on his chest. Oh, of course. At the reveal of the double Bachelorette of Windeckia. No, this isn't a sport, though. This is not a sport. They just celebrate exactly as though it is. And what are we to believe in this moment? That all these guys were sitting around their living rooms just shooting themselves reacting to this? 
watching the show or that they were already selected by producers who forced them to film themselves reacting like this. This is a a preseason I Love Cleveland, really. It's one of two things. One is what you're saying, which is that they already knew who all the players were and just filmed each of them in their locations. Or they then cast these guys and then they have them sit in front of a TV and watch it together and pretend to celebrate so that they have this footage to, I guess, be in place of intro packages. No intro packages. None. No, there were a bunch of little moments where we get our first Chirons. I'm like, who are any of these people? I'm not excited about anyone. I agree. Look, I I didn't want to get into this until a bit later. So far, in terms of production, editing, this is a fucking disaster of a a season, I think. They, They mishandled night one completely. And this is where it really starts to show. No intro packages. Like you're saying, we don't get a sense for any of this. We just get this rapid fire Chiron's on a screen of Michael being flabbergasted at the idea of two bachelorettes. Jason hits a tennis ball. Jacob flies a chopper. Mario's in there. Johnny's in there. Hayden's got a dog. The twins say bye to their mom. Uh, Brandon takes off on his voyage. I did like the twins saying bye to their mom. It felt like a mom saying bye to her kids as they go off to influencer summer camp. It was a, a little bit of a fool edit. They made them kind of childish there. Get those numbers, babes. But we just see a few more people. John, Eric, Logan. It's all these very quick pops. We have no sense of who any of these people are. So even now, when we should be developing these kind of early feelings of who front runners are and who we're going to like to see later during night one, we have none of that. And then we see Gabby and Rachel back in their backyard, sipping champagne and wondering about the mechanics of the game. And they discuss overlap. What's going to happen if we both like the same guy? So very early on, that idea is threaded into this show. And we know from the promos that that is going to happen and it's going to fucking wreck everyone. That's why this season was designed like this. That is the outcome the producers wanted. They are not trying to help them find love. They are trying to have them both fall in love with the same guy so that they will each be fucking destroyed. Why did Emperor Fleiss say, absolutely, we're not pitting them against each other? And then the entire promo was various instances of them being pitted against each other. It's very similar to political strategies, where a political candidate will just simply lie about whatever and then watch what they do. They do the opposite. You know what I mean? It's exactly the same thing here. The party line is like, no, no, this is very empowering for women. We're not pitting them against each other. They're friends. We're helping them both. Cut to the promo. Both of them are fucking sobbing heaps, wanting to go home and not do this anymore. (laughs) The producers did that. Well, at this point in the journey, they're still skipping and clutching onto each other. And Rekia says she's looking for someone taller, more athletic, but it depends on personality. Gabby says she's dated them all. Short kings, tall ones, smart, (laughs) dumb. I want to be with someone who can make a decision. It's clear Clayton didn't know what he wanted when he was bouncing. She does not want a bouncer. The bouncing ultimate Viking, this is the start of his giant villain edit throughout this episode. This is the first time we see it. And she says it right here. They kind of laugh it off. Ultimate Viking was shitty. And it also reminds us that they were both victims to his inability to make a decision. So implicitly, it is telling us they deserve to be in this circumstance. But I agree with you. They did this right here. And I was like, are we going to hear more about Clayton? And oh, fucking did we. The producers hate him so much that they have. I mean, God, we'll get to it. There was one limo exit with a choir of children singing a song that was written specifically to shit on Clayton. Unreal. We'll get to it. That. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get to it. We have them talking about how many guys there's going to be. 
Gabby loads Vols here. She says, someone's going to try to play our ass. There's going to be pe- players who are for TWR. I don't trust men, not all of them anyway. And yeah. she says, they've, right, they've rightfully earned not to be trusted. She's loading these walls here, which I love. Did you think that that scene was acted well, where they're sitting on that little couch? I don't think any of the girl chats come off like two actual friends. It, they're all stilted. There was way too much of that for me in this episode. I agree. It was a huge mistake, and I think they're probably going to do it throughout the rest of the season. But we'll, we'll get to some of the later ones. But this is the first time you really see them doing it. I think it's their way of like being like, no, we don't really want Dark Lord Palmer to be asking these questions, so we're going to have them interview each other about it. But it's, it's not good. I, they just don't seem like best friends to me. I don't know why they're hitting that so hard. I agree. But that little girl chat wraps up with Gabby ITMing another insult to the Ultimate Viking, and it becomes very clear that this is what they're going to do now. The producers are just going to take shots at him, at least for the rest of the night, maybe the rest of the season. And this should be a lesson to anybody who's about to enter our beloved game. Even after your time in-game is through, after whatever torture they've fucking put you through, they can still launch character attacks on you, even after you're fucking out of the game. It's unreal. Like, why do they want to keep doing that? Because the producers are petty and vindictive. That is it. That's the only reason. It makes everyone involved look bad i don't it's it's the same energy as when they had that scene of players on bachelor in paradise discussing how colton was a bad kisser after his season yes it's exactly that they have they've turned on juan pablo they've turned on colton they've tur- i mean they've turned on pilot pete they've turned on i mean every recent bachelor basically this is sauce wars Anybody who doesn't sling the sauce, drink the sauce, bathe in the fucking sauce, you're going to get attacked. You're persona non grata within the nation at this point. So (laughs) our two crowns get dressed up. They compliment each other on their looks as they're ITMing, being ready for this chapter in their lives. Gabby ITMs, hopefully I meet my husband and hopefully it's not the same one that Rachel wants. (laughs) Even though this is in jest, again, they're revealing their biggest fear here. But the fact that the producers have kept it in the edit means that is their goal. And so now then we get in this next uh, portion right after this, there's a commercial for casting the next season. DLP says, your boyfriend is a loser. Everybody knows it. Dump his ass and apply to be on the next season of The Bachelor. So even in their ads for casting, they are upholding this fuck all men attitude. And I just didn't even understand it. Who are they appealing to there? Do they want in season 27, every player in it to be somebody who just got fucked over by a guy? Dark Lord Palmer narrating this Bachelor casting title card saying, your boyfriend's a loser. Everybody knows it. Dump his ass and apply to be on the next season of The Bachelor was my wowie moment of the week. There was a lot of competition, but I had to rewind this title card because I could not believe what I was hearing. I... It was the only moment that drove me to Twitter on the entire viewing of this episode. Hmm. And I, it also gave me a new experimental strategy for someone who's applying. You should use this as your PTC and be like, I realized when I saw that title card and Dark Lord Palmer saying that, that I was in a bad relationship. I dumped his ass and I want to meet a man like you. That's pretty good. I I support this strategy. That is a good strategy, in my humble opinion as well. 
But we then move into portion three. The sun is setting over Los Angeles. We see Eric ITMing, having an open mind. Matt ITMs. He might as well enjoy it. Tino shimmies into their hearts. And guys in the back of the limos start talking about the two different crowns and not understanding the mechanics of the game. Then we see DLP emerge by the fountain. Rachel and Gabby are about to arrive. And we'll see what they've come up with to navigate the mechanics. But they deserve it more than anyone else, DLP says. What is it? The fame, I guess he's talking about. And so then they scream as they approach in a limo. Gabby steps out first, Rachel second. But importantly, they don't pan up to give us a full body shot until both crowns are hand in hand, taking simultaneous first steps toward the Dark Lord. I think how they should have done this, though, I think this was a mistake production wise. I think how they should have done this to give them both equal weight is you do a front shot dead on uh, to the limo so that it's right in the center of the frame and you see two doors on the sides open simultaneously two sets of feet step out and they emerge at the same time and then you cut to them walking to DLP I love that that would be a beautiful shot thank you they they refuse to do that though because even here I think they give slight favoritism to Gabby Wendy just in how they placed it they had to give favoritism you just can't treat Two people exactly the same way. Someone has to be spoken to first. No, you could have them both stepping out of the limo at exactly the same time. They arrive at DLP at exactly the same time and he addresses them both. How are you feeling tonight? No, but where they stand. You have to know where they positioned Gabby and Rachel, that Gabby was farther away from the limo. Yeah, and they do feature her actually prominently more toward camera in some later shots where they're kind of side by side. Gabby's always closer to the camera. At any rate... DLP hugs them. They He welcomes them back to the mansion, as he always does with all the leads. And he asks them how nervous they are, trying to get them off their game immediately. That's his first question. And then uh, Gabby dumps a jar of sauce all over the conversation and says she's so happy to have Rachel there with her. And they're both so grateful. And then DLP fucking makes fun of them for holding hands. It's icing <laughs> on the cake. Rachel Recchia says she's giving me more confidence. And Gabby... Ups the sauce level. Knowing Rachel Recchio is by my side is icing on the cake. It's something I didn't even know to ask for. I was like, that is the hardest praising of the process I've ever heard in my damn life. It's beautiful. Absolutely absurd that anyone would believe this, in my opinion. And then DLP asked them how this whole two crowns thing is going to (laughs) work. What? Why is he asking them? It's the producers who control this whole fucking thing. He knows that. So even in this moment, he's putting the impetus on them. He's making us at home, or at least the attempt here, is to make the fourth audience believe that they control all of this. It's all up to them. None of it is. I will just say, from what I saw tonight, this was the fewest number of decisions made by a lead that I think has ever been in the history of a night one. Of course. They had them acting out whole sequences they have so much more control over the leads because there are two of them. And they know that one of them can get a better edit than the other one. One of them is going to. Right. And there's no no agency. Like, if you're a lead in a normal season, you can be like, no, fuck that. I'm not doing this. You have complete control Mm -hmm. in some ways. You can veto completely a date idea. Exactly. Exactly. Here, you're going to have to go to the other lead and be like, look, I don't really like this. We should do something about it. And what if they're like, no, fuck you. I do like this. So they've they've taken all their control away. But then DLP tells them like, oh, there's 32 guys. Just the first thing Dark Lord Palmer said. I'm like, why on earth are they having him pretend like he does not know the structure of the show that he's hosting? Like, it's his first day. He's got this newbie 
childlike, innocent 4TRR energy. Like, I'm with you. What do you think the producers are going to do, the three of us? He's the voice of the show, and the show is claiming no responsibility here. He is basically saying, how's this going to work? We don't even know. It's an experiment, which is obviously not true. They know exactly how it's going to work. They're going to destroy these women right before our very eyes as they compete for Instagram followers. Dark Lord Palmer executes the lit job, the LTJB. Let the journey begin. But before that, he tells them that there are 32 men, that this is the largest dating pool they will have ever had in the history of the game. This is a lie. On season 16, the fractured season, there were 35 players in that dating pool. Now, you can argue that it was a fractured season. There were two bachelorettes, one after the other, so maybe that doesn't count. But let's just go right back to season 17, Katie Thurston. She had 31 men, so technically that's true. But they're using this here to convey the idea that, yeah, there may be two bachelorettes, but we've given them so many men to choose from. One more than Katie Thurston, who was a solo bachelorette. And even Michelle Young had 30, so two more than Michelle Young. So the the most men in the history of the show is a fucking straight lie. They've used that before on other seasons. I think they did that Sean Lowe's season or something. They're like, there's 30... 30 players this season, and that's the most we've ever had. Yeah. But after these lies, we get into the first limo exits, and the alpha goes to Zach, a 25-year-old tech executive from Anaheim Hills, California. He comes out the limo and does a blandy, asks permission for a hug from both of them, sets the tone for the entire season, in my humble opinion, awkward as shit. He does not know what to do with two crowns. (laughs) I also, by the way, enjoyed this little moment at the first limo where Gabby waves at them like she's an old-timey prospector and she's like, come on! Yeah, I mean, she's obviously funny. I mean, she's the star of the show. There's no other way to say it. After the alpha limo exit of Zach, we get Jason, an investment banker from Santa Monica, California. They play this royal-sounding music for his entrance, I noticed. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) I like how it's like I'm a child learning to... To, to hear sounds and <laughs> things going on. Uh, he says, there's something I got to get off my chest. I've got something in common with Clayton. I'm in love with three women, my mom, my sister, and my dog, Kira. I thought this was straight ripping off Mike Johnson with his three queens. A little bit. I don't remember if Mike Johnson used the phrase, I'm in love with my three queens. I, In my opinion, that's a phrase kind of best used in romantic situations. So it's a little strange to talk about it for your mom, your sister, and your dog, but whatever. Yeah, I've never heard a three nagging remote love level fours and a remote <laughs> creature. <laughs> After Jason, we have Avon. He's 28, sales executive from San Diego, California. He does a standee, and it's a pledge. He promises to do right so he doesn't get on Tony's bad side, which is a reference to Rachel Recky's dad. I thought that was pretty funny. He references both of their families. He says, I don't want to end up on big Tony's bad side, and I want to make your grandfather proud. I thought involving both of their families was what maybe my favorite limo exit. It was a good sentimental play. It was not my favorite, but yeah, I thought that this was a well-played limo exit. We then move on to Jordan H, 35 software developer from Tampa, Florida. He does an It Takes Two standee. He earmuffs Gabby so that he can talk to Rachel. Then he earmuffs Rachel so he can talk to Gabby. And he does a little bit of a standee play here with each of them. And uh, this seemed to work. 
I thought it was a little weird, but then towards the end of the show, we find out Rachel Recky actually liked it. I did not like the just putting headphones on a person. Yeah. It felt weird to me. But we have the fifth limo exit. It is Michael. It is a Blandy. We get Chris. He does a It Takes Two Standy where he holds both of their hands at the same time and says, welcome to a night you'll never forget. I'm here to meet my bachelorette. Mario, 31, is the seventh limo exit. He's a personal trainer from Naperville, Illinois. He does a standy as he dances up to them while singing. The eighth limo exit is Ethan, 27, ad exec from New York, New York. He does a standy. He's juggling apples, and he says, clearly, I'm not good at juggling two women, but I promise you, I can be quite a catch. Good little line there. Ninth limo exit is Kirk, 29. He's a college football coach from Lubbock, Texas. He gives us a standy with this insane (laughs) football pump-up speech, maybe from Friday Night Lights, maybe from Goonies. He gives us a big, let's go, as he marches into the house after telling them, certainly, this is our time. This weird football guy thing, popularized, I would say, by the Ultimate Viking, is now a trope within the show. And I think they probably threw this guy in in order to be like, here's another Clayton. I mean, they're having him issue one of the Ultimate Vikings catchphrases, let's go. He infamously said this before his limo exits, so I feel like this is absolutely a Clayton reference. I did enjoy that Gabby's like, go in there, get those boys pumped up, and then everyone is screaming, let's go. It gets me pumped up. Exactly. Portion four begins back in the mansion. The football coach is pumping up the guys with his football speech. This is what matters right now, this time. Another limo pulls up, and somebody inside the house, we hear them go, let's go, and somebody else goes, it's game time. This is wide open gameplay speech. Anybody who says this is not a professional sport can literally change their mind now because it is. <laughs> literally right now is the time you're going to change your mind because we saw an excellent play by coach Kirk here. He's giving himself a nickname. Love that. And he does it in a way that's not let's we see a worse nickname play later. We'll get to it. I agree. 10th limo exit is Logan, a 26 year old videographer from San Diego, California. I hear quirky music here and he's mm. holding two things in his hand. Oh, Gabby thinks one is a rat. No, it's two baby ducks. And he said, I should practice hanging out with two cute chicks all the time. I think they're chickens. Creature standy. Is a chick not a chicken? Isn't a chick a baby chicken? Yeah, you said ducks. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Ducks ducks and chickens are not the same thing. <laughs> Wait, did I really say ducks? Yeah, That's more so creature funny. confusion here on Game of Roses as always. I was thinking about ducks, so that makes sense. But they not only did you notice the music here, they give him some full edit music when he comes out of limo, but they also sweetened those little chickens with chirping noises that were not actually there to liven it up, I suppose. And then we have Quincy, a.k.a. Prince. He's 25, a life coach from Miami, Florida. He does a standy slash PVC. He pops his collar, says, oh, shit, after he sees them. And then he tells him that he's intentional and he plays the personal virginity card here, saying that he's been saving it for the right person. He hasn't had sex in a year and a half. Full edit music immediately. And as he's walking off, we get Gabby Wendy saying like, well, that makes one of us, which I thought was fucking hilarious. Oh, my God. That was one of my favorite Gabby one liners. I I literally wrote down when she did that. She is made for this game. Absolutely. I mean, unique PVC play, toddler virginity. Rachel Recky loves it. Yeah. 
Next up, we have Hayden, a 29-year-old leisure executive from Tampa, Florida. I feel like the term leisure executive is some sort of a fool at it. He is the GSJ lookalike. He gets country music and says, y'all look so pretty tonight. My name's Hayden. It does sound like Clayton, but what I'm going to do differently is think with this head and not this one. And he points to down there. His genitalia. And then Gabby ITMs that he made a nod to Clayton, and that was the wrong time for it. This is their journey. At this moment, I paused my television, and I laughed to the fucking top of the mountains because they themselves have already brought up Clayton multiple times in this episode. But now it's a, a step too far. They don't want to hear any more about Clayton, and then that kicks off this entire series of other limo exits that have to do with Clayton references. 13th limo exit, Ryan, 36th investment director, Boston, Massachusetts. He's doing a taut standy. Uh, Trick or treat is a taut. And he's in a clown wig and a nose. And then he says, he's not Clayton. Clayton was a clown. Then there's Johnny, 25 reels or Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Standy hopped out the limo in an all black suit. 25 chilling girls say I'm cute. The last guy you dated was kind of a fluke. That is another nod to Clayton. And then Rekia, also ITM's not wanting to hear about Clayton's name anymore. The producers have gone through all of these guys' limo exits with them. And we're going to see in just a moment, there's an even crazier one. But they know everything they're saying. They were priming the pump, all of these. They were like, this is the limo with all of the things making fun of Clayton. But the idea that Gabby or Rachel gives a fuck about any of this Clayton stuff is not real. Those, those are fake ITMs that they're making them say to build up some little moment here. In reality, they obviously don't give a shit. They themselves have been shitting all over Clayton for most of this episode. And they themselves know that producers heavily influence how people come out of the limos. Of course. Which brings us to limo exit number 15. There is a literal fucking <laughs> child army singing an acapella song called Clayton Sucks. And as the dude who is Alec, a 27-year-old wedding photographer from Houston, Texas, as he steps out of the fucking car, Gabby says, did you guys write this by yourself? No, Gabby. The producers wrote the whole fucking thing, set it all up. You know that. We all know that. It, it just, it makes my blood boil. I was like, he might have never even seen these children before. They might have been like, just wear a bow tie. And then he comes out and he's like, oh, well, uh, <laughs> he's not your Mr. Right. Like, the fact, I I mean, this was, this would have been my wowie moment of the week had not it been for that casting card. <laughs> Dump his ass. <laughs> My wowie moment of the week was was something different. I'll get to it later. It's not even a part of the actual document. But the sidecar was incredible. We've never seen anything like this. I mean, I think Juan Pablo, after Juan Pablo, there must have been some Juan Pablo jokes on Andy's season. Yeah. But they did not go this hard. No. To write an entire fucking song and conscript with money... <laughs> a children's acapella group to sing the fucking song. The, I mean, the producers are shitting all over Clayton. If he's at home watching this, I don't know if he is. I hope, honestly, that the Ultimate Viking has washed his hands of all this shit and that he and Susie are fucking happy and thriving. All their social media is great. I hope that they are gone yeah. from this because this show is a fucking toxic cesspool of producers who just want to drag you down forever because they themselves are, I believe, trapped in a fucking realm of darkness where all that matters for them 
is destroying people's lives. I mean, a child army sidecar just to bully your last crown is something I would never think we would see. It's just so petty. It's not adding to this season. I mean, I guess if you don't have anything, you're like, okay, we're just going to victimize them. That'll be their personality. Yeah. We're not going to focus on her being a pilot or her being a nurse. We're going to focus on the victimization. No, exactly. And what they were saying in ITM is like, this is our season. This is a time for us to start over again. If you're a, a person who watches the show or you haven't in a while, which is more likely, and you choose this season to come back, like, oh, two bachelorettes, I'll see what that's about. The first 15 minutes of the show is them shitting on The Last Bachelor that you did not watch and don't give a fuck about. It's just such a mistake from top to bottom in terms of how they're producing this show. I will never understand it, and yet I always do. Because at least post-Elon Gale leaving the show, this is what you have to expect. The pettiness is like right out front. There's no attempt to hide it. They are uh, just out to basically like shit on people who they think have wronged them or gone against the show in some way. And so here you see it. Four children forced to sing Clayton Sucks. I am so excited to listen to what the Sauce podcasts have to say about the Clayton Sucks song. Do they just not even hit it? They just ignore the child army with the jazz hands as if it didn't happen? I have no idea. I have no idea. They might even laugh at it. I can hear GSJ being like, that was my favorite part. When those kids said Clayton socks, <laughs> I'll give them some sauce. Speaking of sauce, the 16th limo exit is James. He's 25. He is listed as a meatball enthusiast, and he is from Winnetka, Florida. And he does a Kringle, a giant meatball sub. And Gabby has a little standee that says, do you handle those balls so well? Proving again, she's hilarious. And then he walks into the house, and somebody says, MVP of the night, as he presents this giant meatball sub. This is a great second audience play. Uh, even better would have been if he put something in the sub to make everyone sick, in my opinion. <laughs> even better would be a poisoning. A light poisoning. Even <laughs> Nothing serious. Even better than this Kringle sandwich would have been if he raised an army and went and invaded another country. <laughs> Just like nothing to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, look, I love people getting the MVP language into the show. Sure. He isn't my MVP, but it was a good try. I agree. Now we have 17th Limo X with Justin B, 32 physical therapist from Solana Beach, California. He does a taut standy uh, barefoot. And then he says, I'm coming in a little extra grounded. This was grotesque to me. A failure. Brandon. 23 years old, bartender, <laughs> Carlsbad, California, taut in this strange full blue bodysuit that covers his entire arms and head. And he kind of wriggles over to them as an amoeba and then takes it off. And they're like, oh, wow. And we see that reprised later, of course. I thought that was actually pretty funny. Then we had my favorite limo exit, Roby, 33. <laughs> He's a magician like me from Los Angeles, California, like me. And he does a standee. He does a card trick where he turns a card into a watch and then he says he wants to spend a little time to get to know them both. Now, I'll just say that I loved Roby, okay? And I know he wasn't long for this game, <laughs> but I fucking loved him because I've never seen a magician of this level in game. And I like magic. I'll say it, okay? Clues? Yeah. <laughs> Was this you in a wig? <laughs> yeah. That's how I got in. Full 
real life plastic surgery face mask that has me turned into a completely different person. No, it is not me. You just you just love level four. You're doppelganger from only a night one performance, but uh, <laughs> I enjoyed I enjoyed uh, Roby's Roby's. I was thinking of starting with a card trick. Not quite sure. I want to do magic. I want to spend time. I'm like, what are these? What are these phrases? I don't know, but he entertained me. Uh, and then we moved on to John, an English teacher who's 26 from Nashville, Nashville Tennessee. Blandy here. Um, and an error. Not my error of the game, but he messed up their names when he came up to introduce himself to them. Not a good look. And then we got Tino in 21st position. He's 28, general contractor, Playa del Rey, California. This is the first grandy of the night. He drives in on a forklift and he applies a standy here as well. You two look forking gorgeous. Uh, and he says that he works in construction, so that means he's good with his hands. Rekia immediately attracted to Tino. She says something about it here. He hugged her first. I started noting for a while, like, who was being hugged first. And it was people mostly hugging Gabby, but he mm. went straight for Rachel Rekia. I feel like it was a little foreshadowing of maybe an all eggs, one basket play Ooh, to come. Right. And I loved this limo exit. We have seen a forklift before. I think when the box guy, the guy who came out of the box, the box King, the box King. I think he was a night one guy. He was, who was that on Hannah Brown? I think 15. This was, this was more of a, you know, a blue collar, like, you two look forking gorgeous, Standy. It's like simple. I liked it. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was pretty effective. And then this portion ends with a man shirtless riding in on a horse who they <laughs> compare to Fabio. We pick up where we left off in portion five, and this man is Jacob. He's 27, a mortgage broker from Scottsdale, Arizona. That's Lion Dyke country. This is a grandy taut Standy. He is grandy on a horse. He is totting, trick-or-treating, in his shirtless costume. And then as he comes in, he says, I know this looks like a cover to a romantic novel, but I'm only here for a happy ending. That's his standy portion of it. And I'm not sure if he's saying that sincerely or if he's making like a lewd kind of joke there. But it was also an it takes two because Gabby wipes herself on him. Oh, Do that's you remember right. This? God damn it. That's a quad. <laughs> it was a four, a quad. Amazing quad limo exit you don't see those very often also he was the only player in his limo exit who gave us a good shot of his muscularity here i thought his muscularity was great vascularity needs some work i saw no veins popping very smooth no vascularity but i did enjoy that it was an homage to the first grandy of all time that's Lindsay cox on ben flagenick's season she rode in on horse also but this is like taking it to that next level the 2022 cox and it's a little bit of a Christian play. Not only does he have a giant cross tattooed on his ribcage, but he's wearing a gold cross necklace. He's conveying a lot in a limo exit. <laughs> and this is the introduction also of Blanco, his steed. He beckons for Blanco to come with him into the house, and the horse shows us all who the real star of this limo exit is by upstaging a half-naked, long-haired warrior of Christ and saying, uh-uh, I don't think so. And we even get a close-up of Blanco's face. Now, you might think this is my creature of the week, and you might be right, but I'm not going to tell you who it is until later, because Blanco makes another play that's even better, <laughs> if you can believe that. <laughs> so we move on 
Uh, 23rd limo exit is Tyler. He's 25 business owner from Wildwood, New Jersey. It's a Blandy. The 24th is Colin, 36, sales director from Chicago, Illinois. Standy, it takes two. They feel his jacket and he says, you familiar with this material? It's husband material. 25 is a Gemini. That is a rarity in our beloved game. That is when twins exit the limo. And we saw Joey and Justin, both 24 twins from Brookfield, Connecticut, coming out in the Gemini. And then number 26 is Tremaine, 28. A crypto guy is what they call him from Naperville, <laughs> Illinois. He does not It Takes Two as he drops a microphone into Rachel's hand and then says, yeah, I did that. And he walks in without seemingly saying anything else. I thought this was a weak attempt. I did not like this limo exit. Up next, we had Spencer, a 27-year-old graduate student from Chicago, Illinois, who brings in two chairs and says, I know a long night in heels can be hard. I have a mother and sister, so I know how long nights can be. And Gabby's like, he's my type. And I love this moment. We saw it one time earlier, I think, where they start claiming people after Mm -hmm. they go, oh, he's my type. He's mine. I was also disappointed with the twins, by the way. Yeah. They they did nothing. But then we have Matt, a shipping executive from San Diego, who says two is definitely better than one. Standy. We had Nate, an electrical engineer from Chicago, Illinois. And he brings out a Kringle, which is a face pillow of both Rachel and Gabby's faces on either side. I loved that. I did too. Call back, obviously, to her limo exit on season 26. I was so happy to see Nate in a lot of the promos. He's in my top four. I see a good run for him. Then we have Jordan V, who is a 27-year-old drag racer from Alpharetta, Georgia, who says, I'm a race car driver. You could say I'm used to some wild and crazy rides. Standy. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. If you have sensitive skin, you're going to want to hear about One Skin's scientifically proven topical supplements. This is face, eye, body, shield, And it can all be used with any of their other products, which are free from over 1,500 chemicals and preservatives that can make skin red, irritated, or itchy. Their products are safe for sensitive skin. It's just one of the reasons they've earned the SkinSafe seal of approval. You got to keep that skin glowing if you want to be keeping up the level of face play that I've got going on. And OneSkin was founded by an all-woman team of scientists 
Their products are backed by extensive lab and clinical data to validate their efficacy and safety on all skin types. Uh, Their topical supplements are the easiest way to keep your skin healthy and hydrated without the harsh ingredients or irritation found in other skincare products often. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code ROSES at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code ROSES. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support Gore and tell them that we sent you. Clues. Underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc. You don't know what to expect. But now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies. And now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and <laughs> my... Um, <laughs> which is not what this uh, ad is about. But I am also wearing the super soft, sustainable modal fabric thong with no rollback waistband. Mm. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, MeUndies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash roses. That's meundies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. Meundies. Comfort. From the outside in. And then we have Eric, 29-year-old real estate analyst from Bedminster, New Jersey, who says, do either of you guys know how to tie a tie? And it takes two getting Gabby to tie his tie. And that was the Omega. And usually the Alpha and the Omega means something. Usually those players, at least one of them will go far. So we had Eric and we had Zach. We are going to keep an eye on them, rest assured, as well as all the other players. But this is it. DLP emerges. He says, you've met all 32 men. We get some horror music, strangely. And the guys are all sizing each other up inside, talking about masculinity. And DLP then asks both of our crowns if they have a strategy to divide and conquer. And Kirk ITMs, there's no precedent for this, no basis for this at all, which is not true. This has happened in other countries, bachelor of other countries, I mean. And Mario ITMs that men are territorial, that he's ready for whatever. Nice open gameplay speech here. I loved that. He also said, we got two bachelorettes. It's a different ball game. He's really having this motivational speaking mentality stuff coming through. And he says, you got to make it known that you're a contender. And then he starts the toast. He says, we ready for whatever. We ready for whatever. I honestly felt in this moment, I was like, he is a contender slash maybe villain. And I feel like Carl Smith walked. So Mario could contend. 
He says, Bachelor season 19, let's do it, gentlemen. And then portion six begins. The guys are still talking about how dumbfounded they are that there are two crowns still sizing each other up. DLP gives the crown some ground rules. Go into the party and talk to every one of the guys. Get ready for the night of your lives. Sinister smile. They giggle as they enter the mansion and they enter the inauguration room. Hand in hand, Hayden gets the first responder here, handing them their drinks. This is a sign of producer favor. You do not get to hand them their drinks unless the producers make sure that happens. That is the only way this occurs. So Hayden, at least at this point in the season, as they're shooting it, the producers want him to go far. He is a player of favor. And he got to give it to both of them, a double first responder. I was wondering how that would play out, whether it would be two first responders at once. That would have been something. But this was interesting nonetheless. But he is not the first responder in conversations, is he? No, but we do get an inauguration speech here. And they tell us they know what it's like to be in their shoes. They're so excited to be there. Thank you so much. We know the sacrifice that it is to be here. But the more you lean in, the more you get out of it. So please trust us. Rekia then says, we're both really confident that if you're open and vulnerable, love is here. And Gabby says that it's the most men they've ever had. Again, a lie. Gabby likes it. It feels good. All the testosterone in the room, she says. And then they acknowledge breaking new ground with two crowns. Let's do it. Cheers. And this is pretty much what we predicted, that it would be uh, two friends Mm -hmm. ready for love, lean in, you know, praise the process. And then Gabby ITMs that she wants to get her feet wet with dating multiple guys, then flips her hair. And she does an incredible bit of face play here, tucking her bottom lip under her top teeth as her hair is cascading behind her, flying in the wind, closing her eyes in a goofy, playful start to the one-on-one conversations of night one. And this was my face play of the game. I think we are going to be seeing a lot of face plays of the game from Gabby Window, and she proved right here why that's the case. She can contort her Mm -hmm. face into these weird expressions that are both funny and cute and endearing, all of it. This is the lovable dingbat. Can you show me what that face play looked like? Well, I don't have the hair that Gabby Wendy has, unfortunately. I don't have the extensions, as she said, but she kind of flips her hair and goes like that. Beautiful. Okay, (laughs) just wanted to check. Thank you. (laughs) I did not have that face play as my award. We will get to mine. Okay. But the after the testosterone starts flowing, we get 101 with your boy, Roby. I think maybe you should describe this one because you have, you know, the language for it. Well, (laughs) we get our first game mechanic here as well. The idea that these players are going to be given the opportunity to speak to both crowns simultaneously in their one-on-one time. And so Roby is doing that. He starts it off with a card trick. They they tell him that they remember his name. He does this card trick. And then he kneels in front of them. He doesn't pull up a chair. He doesn't sit down next to them. He kneels before them, which was my... Error, 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 error of the game. It was so awkward. It made the conversation so strange as he's sitting there kneeling on one knee and he's asking them about, uh, you know, how are you guys feeling? And he tells them they're in a position of power and he asks them what the scariest moment of all this is. He's so nervous, so awkward. You can tell in that moment he's gone. Now, we don't yet know at that point like what the mechanics of night one are going to be, but you're 100% sure in that moment he is not moving through to the next phase. And for me to see 
a magician have an opportunity to make a deep run in our <laughs> beloved game and just fucking blow it like this. This was my error, hands down. He had the most Instagram followers going into tonight. I don't know how long that's going to last for him. I am <laughs> I am so sad that we are not going to see the rest of his tricks. And it definitely is not you in a wig having finally achieved your goals and gotten on the show. <laughs> No. I mean, maybe I'll try that eventually if my magic gets a little bit better. But then we see some uh, two-on-one time with the twins. They're up next, and they talk a little bit about how one is more bold than the other, and one's laid back. All This entire conversation is very low energy. Both crowns say, ultimately, in ITMs, they're not feeling it. And so we're getting this out of the way. You, you now look back in retrospect, the construction of this episode. They put Roby and the twins as the first three people they talk to, and those are going to ultimately be the only three people that get eliminated. So they're giving us justification in these conversations as to why they're going to kick them off the show. Look, they had a chance, they talked to them, and it wasn't there. Absolutely. I think that this was their, I mean, ultimately what we'll get to is their night one curveball. So they wanted to, you know, have a little bit of blood taken. Yeah. And you're at such a disadvantage if you talk to them both at the same time. It's how do you date two people literally at the same time when you're just I mean, I know people do it, but I mean, like, I don't know. Seems hard. This is the premise of the show. You realize every lead has to date 30 people at a time or whatever, 32, 31, 35. No, but talking to them, like just shifting your focus from one to the other like this like yeah. Alex Michelle on night one of his season yes. that's what he had to do and it was I horrible know. and awkward and didn't work <laughs> and that's why they made them go on one-on-one mini one-on-ones anyway the twins I am sad I am sad to say they they didn't bring anything to this and basically implied that Gabby and Rachel had been in the womb together so I guess the promos worked on them <laughs> <laughs> Jordan H. wants to tell Rachel Recchi about how they had a Florida vibe together. Ryan, the Mad, Mad Chad lookalike, has some one-on-one time and says he'll stick out with his family with how she's talking. And he presents a whiteboard and shows how to talk with a Boston accent. Instead of saying, hello, good sir, how are you? You say, hey, guy, how are ya?" Yeah, I thought this was an okay thing, and it seemed to work. Gabby then ITM'd the, oh, she likes him, he's funny, easy to get along with. Now we begin portion seven. The guys are all talking about the possibility of falling for both crowns and being faced with a tough choice later in the season, so we know that's coming. We see some one-on-one time. We got Hayden up with Rachel, and he went to UCF, he says, and he's from Tampa, where her brother lives. He knows it was her birthday a few weeks ago, so he made her a fucking birthday card and he cringles her with it. And this birthday card, given to Rachel Reckia by Hayden, was my. Play, 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 play of the game. This is fucking brilliant. It shows research was done. He had to look up and see when her fucking birthday was at some point in order to make this. Maybe he just saw it on social media. Or a producer told him this that wanted him to do well. Even better, because then you have the third audience at your back. I absolutely think he had the third audience. I do too, obviously. 
But for those who are new to the podcast, maybe tuning in to listen along in conjunction with this season, we break the game down into audiences. Every player is playing against four separate but very important audiences. The first audience is the lead, in this case, the two bachelorettes. The second audience is the other players that you're in the house with. The third audience is the producers. And the fourth audience is us at home watching it. And so when you have the power of the third audience behind you, they can manipulate the entire game. Here, maybe they did help Hayden out, but whatever the case, this was my play of the game. It worked so well, and I think he is in tight now with Rachel Recchia. It's not my play of the game, but I did love this play by Hayden. I knew I put him in my top four for a reason. And Rachel Recchia then loads love level one in return. He went out of his way to let me know he's interested. I definitely feel a spark. Perfect. Shirtless Jacob gets a one-on-one with Gabby. He... (laughs) Oh, fuck. Fucking Jacob. He gives some sort of, or reads some sort of a list of attributes of his ideal partner, which I thought was interesting because we saw something very similar to this last season, and it was a controversy with the folder gate. Yes. I mean, this was a little less controversial in that he didn't come in with folders full of what seemed to be like game plans. This was just saying what I'm looking for in someone else. And uh, Gabby can't stop looking at his muscularity. I, I, once again, though, can't help thinking he could have upped his vascularity. He could have done some push-ups or something. Give me one vein popping. No veins. Do you think the vascularity, the vascularity is the problem why he didn't secure the kiss? Yes, Mm. without a doubt. Well, the coach, Coach Kirk, says he's, before he kisses, he's going to pick between them because he's for TRR. Well, I mean, this is actually a good strategy talk because whenever you're going to do a kiss, you do run the risk of alienating the other person that you have not kissed. And we... I mean, we're going to get into some interesting shit in terms of like game mechanics with two crowns. How does that work? So then we see some one-on-one time with Rachel and Avon. It's tough for him to open up, but he's there for her. He's willing to meet her and be open with her. And it might take him longer than others, but he will give this his absolute best. He's inching closer to her, but no kiss. They're really, the producers are building up the idea of the kiss here. I'm sure in actuality, the first kiss happened almost immediately and they're just cutting it out of order to make it look like this. Definitely. I did notice that Gabby's, she had a blanket over her at one point, then there's a robe, then it's back to the blanket. It kept switching. The editing of this entire episode was a fucking mess. Whoever is editing this, I mean, it's not even their fault. It's the producers because the producers are the ones setting up the situations where like there will be no possible way to edit this with any continuity. At one point, when we get to the giving out the Fimp Roses, you'll see Roby is literally materializing in all locations simultaneously, like he's fucking Doctor Strange (laughs) going through the metaverse. Well, in this conversation with Rekia Avon, he says, the first, all eggs, one basket. He says, I'm here for you. I love this play. It is a strong play. You know, it's risky, but it makes you stand out and you need to stand out when you're in the record number of players season. I don't even know if it is risky, though, with with Rekia, because I think coming into this season, you look at the Instagram numbers, you've seen the last season, you know what is happening here. Gabby is the funnier one, the more vivacious one, the one who is popping as a bigger personality. Rachel Rekia is a little more subdued. 
And so I think by telling Rachel Recchia, I'm here for you, it's actually a very strong strategy because I think most guys coming in are going to be there for Gabby just because she was a bigger star on the show. Yeah, I wonder, because we don't know. We're just like Dark Lord Palmer. We're in the dark about the structure of the season. So we don't know when are the guys going to have to make this decision? How long are they going to be dating each one of these people? Is everyone going to all eggs one basket by the time they actually have to split? I imagine there's like a split point where Dark Lord Palmer is going to be like, now that time has come to decide like they do in bachelor paradise when they're like, you need to decide if this is a serious relationship and you want to go to the fantasy suite. But it doesn't look like that from the promos. It looks like they let these fuckers, you know, explore both relationships until the very end. And that's what ultimately is going to crush them both. Oh my God. Devious. I think that's, what's going to happen. I mean, that's clearly what they're they're aiming for. But then we get some one-on-one time with Rachel and Jordan V. He takes her out to see his race car in the driveway. And he says, it's pretty big, though, isn't it? And he likens his race car to a plane. He makes a connection with her. I feel like this was his grandy he didn't get to do because it was too big. I 100% agree. Like, if they've got the car there, why didn't he drive it in? It was probably some liability issue. But he essentially suggests that they should teach each other how to pilot their respective crafts. This works. She's impressed by him. He all exits her. I came here for you. He has a kiss moment, but then switches it to talking about horsepower (laughs) of his car. Uh, (laughs) That's a strong wall game. Big mistake. But I think he's he's still going to go far. Rachel Recchia ITMs in that moment. Clayton kissed me night one. Like, step up. We then see Mario get one-on-one time with Gabby and... (laughs) He is talking lenses. How has your lens changed in that area? He's talking all of this stuff about emotions. He's saying Clayton Love Level Ford has that changed your strategy. And Gabby says, trust your gut. And Mario says, there's a stigma that men are closed off and have walls. You know what I'm saying? And he keeps repeating that phrase. You know what I'm saying? And I felt like it was this like neurolinguistic programming that you talk about. Because <laughs> he's into all the like, growth and yeah what are, what do you call it he's trying to jedi mind trick her a little bit but it works because two kisses for mario with gabby and he says look forward to connecting with you over the course of the next several weeks so he's future casting that he is going to be here the whole time that was definitely some nlp shit right there i'm going to be here for the next several weeks and this is the first kiss of the document now we don't know what actually happened that night and they air kisses out of order all the time mm-hmm. to suit whatever. I, I am pretty sure this was not the first kiss of the night, but it's the first kiss of the document. So they want us to think something about it. Well, Teddy was the first kiss in the document, and then that wasn't actually the first kiss, but she got Correct. the fimp. And then Mario is the first kiss in the document, and he gets the fimp. So I'm like, maybe they're like, I don't know. It's like setting the audience up for like, oh, logically, yeah, that is what would happen. Yeah. This works for Mario because Gabby loads love level one for him after all of this NLP, allegedly. And we get one-on-one time between Tino or Rachel Recchia. And he has done something incredible here. He has not only isolated the Bachelorette, which is what we recommend you do, he has brought her back to the stairs. And he says, I figured you had a troubled past with the stairs. Maybe we could get together and make a better memory. And 
Latino isolating Rachel Recchia on the stairs was my play, 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 play of the game. It was beautiful. They have this sort of intimate conversation. It's kind of like they're in the shadows. We know Rachel Recchia loves stair play. And he says, I felt at home on the forklift limo exit because I'm a general contractor. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't go on it. I still get excited to go on it. And she says, yours was one of my favorites. And he then asks for consent. Would you let me kiss you? Yes. And then two kisses for Tino with Rekia. It was a great play. One of the strongest of the night. I'm not disputing that. I did not like how he tried to downgrade it to a cheek kiss. He was like, can I kiss you? It could even just be a kiss on the cheek. That line to me, despite a little bit of a lack of confidence. Oh, he did? Yeah. But he did get the kisses. I mean, ultimately, he got the kisses. He elevated his chemistry game. So that's all fine. I'm just saying, for me, I preferred the Kringle. Nonetheless, we begin portion eight. Rachel and Gabby get a moment to discuss amongst themselves how the night is going. And this is the first of these kind of girl chats where they now sit down and just retell everything we've already seen. Here is really something that fucking blew my mind. This was one of my wowie moments, not my my formal wowie moment of the week. Rachel is like, Hayden gave me a birthday card. It was my birthday two weeks ago. Gabby's her best (laughs) friend, right? And she has to tell her that my birthday was two weeks ago. Gabby doesn't know that. This is exposing the lie. They are not best friends. I think they're like friendly through this process up to that point on night one through like all the promotion they have to do for it and all that kind of shit. But like, I don't think they're best friends. She doesn't know who her fucking birthday is. That was two weeks ago. Come on. I mean, I think this exposes the problem with them providing this role for each other as opposed to the host. Like, yes, that too. (laughs) Forget about the best friends thing. The lie of it. It's a scripted thing to be like, oh, just so you know, these are my top three that I've talked to. Oh, these are my top three. Who have you kissed? I've kissed this. It's like summing up the stats so far. Yeah. Which we've all already seen as an audience member. I am sitting here watching this being like, why am I watching this? And then later it actually becomes incredibly problematic in the conceit of allowing them to find love because when they're doing these girl chats, this is hours taken out of the night when they have to keep coming back and da 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 so they can't talk to these guys. It's eating up their fucking time. And as we know, it's a game of time. At any rate, this is one of many mistakes they made throughout the night, in my opinion. But then DOP brings out the two fimps. Gabby in here says, now I understand how you can have feelings for everybody. Yeah. So all the things they've been shitting on Clayton for, she's like, well, I guess I'm about to do it too. Ha ha ha. And then they laugh it off. There's. And Rachel does a Clayton impression. I'm in love and it feels so good. Yeah. They still find a moment to make fun of him, even though they are acknowledging that they're about to do exactly what he did. It's unbelievable to me the hypocrisy that is laid into the show right here and the idea again that they're best friends which they're clearly not at least they're not on the level of knowing that one of them had a birthday two weeks prior to this event whatever we move on the first impression roses come out on this golden crested marble serving tray he sets it in front of all the players we get matt itm and the anxiety that comes about because of the fimps being displayed and we get a montage of guys getting their one-on-one time and being nervous more uh talk of liking the same person Fimps are displayed again. 
chicken noises are laid into the track again. And we get some one-on-one <laughs> time with Logan and Rachel. And he asks her her biggest fear. And they say their, their fears simultaneously. His is sharks. Hers is clowns. Very quickly, he says, I heard there were some clowns tonight. So were you terrified? She laughs. And she ITMs liking him. This is a love level one. He thinks it went well. But he needs to talk to Gabby to see who he wants to pursue. And he is then given... I'm saying this very explicitly. He is then given one-on-one time with Gabby by the producers. In this scenario, in this setup, as you notice, there are no steals happening. No steals. Because there are two crowns, every interaction is set up by producers. And so they give Logan here the opportunity to have what, at least in the document, is presented as the first player to interact with both of them simultaneously, or one right after the other, sorry. They're setting him up for failure. They want to destroy him. They want him to fall in love with both of them, to seem like he's fucking one of them over, and that's what they're trying to do here. I mean, I think the steals are producer-created in general anyway, but especially the first two when we see the twins and then Roby, and it's the duel, I was like, oh, we're just watching like a play right now Yep. of just like set up conversations. Um, And I think they wanted to eliminate the steals to emphasize this idea that, wow, they had so many men. They had so many more turtles than usual when really people turtle all the time. There's always night one curveballs. This amount of people talk to the lead in a lot of other seasons, but they're trying to give the idea that these women have some sort of initiative in this process absolutely which they clearly don't at all by the way would like to give a little apology to the chicks here they poop in logan's hand in an itm they were working their little duck baby hearts out it looked like they shit a bunch i could see little like maybe it was feathers like coming (laughs) off of them but you could see in almost every scene that he's holding them something's coming out of them They were leaving it all on the field, and I appreciated that, but it just <laughs> wasn't enough shit. No. There was another animal later who produces much more. But then we get some one-on-one time with Eric and Gabby. She compliments his natural curl and his beauty. He tells her she looks stunning. She tells him she has fake hair, and we get this funny moment when uh, he's looking at her extensions, and she's letting him feel them, and then she ITMs. Level of a one here. She likes him. And she screams. I loved that. She pretends like he's pulling her hair. <laughs> she ITMs liking him because of they make each other laugh. And then they discuss groomed chest hair and Gabby's distaste for it. And he asks her for a kiss and he gets that kiss back in the fimp room. The guys wonder what it's like if they get roses. If the fimp rose goes to one player, is that even possible? We then see one on one time with Eric and Rachel. They talk about his hometown in New Jersey. He makes her laugh by drawing a fake map of New York on the back of his hand. She reties his tie for him, and he avoids the kiss here, which I think was actually a good move. Wait, you think she was going for the kiss? I think he definitely had an opportunity to kiss there. I think it was a very... It, it looked to me anyway like it was a kiss lead-in moment that was happening. She's touching mm-hmm. his hand. They're very close to each other, but he refuses. He pulls back because he knows that could get him in trouble this early in the game, and I agree. I wrote Eric is a contender here, and Rachel Recchia grabs the fimp. Someone says securing the bag and Rachel grabs Tino. She says, I've been thinking about you for a while. You made the stairs a better place for me on night one. AKA this is in return for Pace Case's play of the game. He says, I'm going to try to milk this time. Basically, I'm here to make you happy. And they kiss again. And 
I got the hint of a little villain edit for Eric here in the ITMs wanting either Fimpros. Yeah, potentially. That is going to be a 4TWR for the wrong reasons accusation of a lot of players, I think, moving forward in the season that you're, well, if you don't like her, if you're trying to play them both, you're just an asshole. Meanwhile, they're literally dating 32 men. But this is one of the worst editing jobs I've ever seen, the delivery of this Fimpros. She comes into the main room where the Fimps are. She picks it up. Groby is standing there. He's in that room. You see him very <laughs> clearly. She then walks outside and pulls Tino from a couch where there are about five other players sitting. Groby is one of those players sitting right there. He is somehow in two places simultaneously, and it just shows you how totally fucked the production is. They have no idea what they're doing in terms of they had to tell Rachel Reckia, go into that room and get the FIMP. And then they had to arrange a series of players around a bench so that she could come out, pull Tino to give it to him. Because they always like to have players seeing what's happening as a player is giving out the FIMP rows. They want the other players to like rub it in their face, basically. And so they got Roby and said, you come out here and sit on the couch, too. After he was just in the room where she picked up the fucking <laughs> FIMP. Thank God we have you on Roby Watch so that we can uh, <laughs> get the real story of this magical editing. Roby is incidental. It's the bad editing. It's the bad producing. And it's just all over the show. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. And these are small things. Maybe most people don't you know, see it or whatever. But it just immediately makes you or made me think like the timing here is not right. None of this is correct. I have no idea what's actually happening. Did the producers tell her to give Tino the fucking Fimp? We know from uh, past leads that like Fimp Roses are not always given out by the leads. Sometimes producers will say, this is who you're giving the Fimp to. Well, whoever's idea it was to give Tino the Fimp, we then get something next, which was a, a <sighs> gift for all of us that... I cannot wait to break down with you. This is the a commercial. Do we have a play-by-play? Oh, yes. I sensed we did. This commercial <laughs> that occurred between portion eight and portion nine was my wowie moment of the week. I don't know if this commercial aired for everyone everywhere across our beloved United States, but it did air on YouTube TV for me in Los, Ange Los Angeles, California with a a uh, YouTube TV subscription that is tricked to think I'm in New York. So, this was a commercial for Maybelline. In the commercial, we open with Serena Pitt literally making spawn con for Maybelline. That's correct. The premise of this commercial is that she is making a piece of spawn con on her phone for this Maybelline product. I I'm already reeling. While she's doing this, we then cut to see GSJ getting ready in the bathroom. It's their anniversary. She says, this product keeps up with me all day or lasts all night. And as she says all night, <laughs> we cut to GSJ who's tying his shoe and he gives a little <sighs> eyebrow raise to the camera. Oh, yeah, we fuck. That's basically what is going <laughs> on. Here. He actually said, ready, babe. But it was basically that. <laughs> well, that comes a little bit later. He then stands up. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, and, oh. and comes in. This man who upholds the 4TRR philosophy, he basically is like the, the captain of the 4TRR police, is literally doing a fucking TV commercial in which Serena Pitt, his fiance, is doing SpawnCon. I just, 
It melted my fucking brain. This is the snake eating its own tail. This is the complete disintegration of any claim, in my opinion, that Grocery Store Joe can make to being for TRR. They're doing SpawnCon in the fucking commercial. That's the premise of the commercial. Is She's making a fucking TikTok video about Maybelline. It's unreal. And he's just sitting there smirking and tying his fucking shoes. Come on, babe. It is wild to have the show that is so like influencers are bad. We don't say the words Instagram. We don't talk about getting anything out of this process other than love. And if you want something, then you're 40 WR. And then to have during the commercials, a complete undercutting of that premise, having Mm. the ring light in there, like it's some sort of glitter baby birth into this world. But also the idea of the commercial is that doing spawn con is it's a glamorous thing. It validates the idea of being an influencer in that this is something you all want to be. Buy this makeup and you can be an influencer too. And that's being aired right in the fucking bachelor. And it's two people who refute the validity of influencing as a career, even though they themselves are influencers. It's fucking unreal. It, it, it is just, it's such a fucking weird doublespeak 1984. It's not unreal. It's like Maybelline. <laughs> anyway, whatever it is, it was my wowie moment of the week. I'm sure we're going to be seeing much more shit from them uh, in the near future. But let's move on. By the way, I feel like this is a great moment for me to interject with a fun missed thing. I meant to give my face play award earlier during the twins limo exit. Someone sees the twins. I believe it is Prince. And he says, nah. And this moment was my face play of the game. That's like some bachelor producer editing right there. You're going back in time to... (laughs) appear in a scene that you were never in. It's our new award. I'm very excited about it. You know, a new gore, the most dramatic season yet of gore is what you guys are all going to get. That is correct. And now let's move on to the most dramatic portion. Portion number nine. The guys are nervous about turtling and they all want roses. Tino comes in with the fimp and asks who wants to give him a dirty look so he even knows there's a target on his back. But there's still one more fimp. And the girls talk again about fimps now. And Rachel talks about giving her fimp to Tino. They talk about how big the fimp is. This is a waste of time again. It's another one of these girl chats that's just like, okay, whatever, get on with it. Gabby's going to go give out her fimp. Eric ITM's feeling confident with Gabby to get the fimp. Logan wonders in an ITM if he made a big enough impression to get the fimp. And then Gabby picks up her fimp and asks Mario to come with her. The other guys are surprised by this, especially Eric. He has to realize the producers are actually probably deciding this. Gabby gives fimp number two to Mario. He gets a kiss. And then the turtles, including Zach, lament about the fact that they have not had enough time. Rachel and Gabby talk to each other again about not having had enough time with the guys. Maybe that's because they're doing all these fucking things or they're talking to each other instead of the guys. It's such bad producing. It makes me crazy. It's just terrible. Absolutely fucking terrible. That last Wendekia girl, like, okay, have one girl chat about being excited about the process. Don't have one that's like, okay, I gave my femp to this okay, I'll go give my fimp right now. There's no need for that conversation. Absolutely correct. Terrible producing. And then DLP enters the main room with a seven ting 
initiating the end of standard play. This is like a hockey buzzer. This is like the whistle at the end of a basketball quarter or a football quarter. And the rose ceremony is up next. The crowns are still talking amongst themselves. Rachel tells Gabby that she wants to bend the rules at least a little bit because this is a first. And of course, this, this idea that they're bending any rules is a complete lie. The producers set all of this up. So DLP emerges. What's going on? Are you ready? And he tells them they can do whatever they want. They call the shots. Really? Keep all 32 players until the end of the season. Force all of the players on night one to determine which of the two crowns they want to date, and that's the only person they can date. Can they do that? Can they call those shots? No, of course they're not calling any fucking shots. This is a straight lie, but we get the idea that there's going to be some kind of curveball thrown here. This is our night one curveball. We all, I think, know what it's going to be. Just from the the idea that like, well, we've got to do something different. Yeah. Turtling is really immoral. Forcing turtles. Something we do every season, every cocktail party. But I think in this case, they turtled like half the fucking mm. players because the producers just did not know how to fucking produce a season with two crowns. So portion 10 begins. Sunrise bathes the mansion in poisonous photons that have traveled 94 <laughs> and a half million miles from the sun across the cosmos to shine their light on this historic moment. And Gabby and Rachel enter the Rose Ceremony Chamber. Rekia tells them she appreciates them all being there. And for the sake of time, they couldn't get to everyone that night. But they've been in the in the guy's position as well. So they know that it's terrible. And uh, they're sorry. They ask Roby, Justin, and Joey, the twins, to come talk to them. And you know that this is a reverse Rose Ceremony immediately. This is an execution. Triple execution. A triple execution when you have the most amount of players ever. It's tough to see it. It's got to be tough when there's, you know, barefoot and shirtless are still in the running. Yeah, I mean, usually they eliminate a third of all players, roughly, on night one. Here they've eliminated one-tenth, 10%, not 33%. So next week, when we're going to see these group dates, you're going to see a group date with like 20 players on it. It's going to be a fucking full shit show. But in front of the mansion... The two crowns thank these three players for their time and tell them that talking to them made them certain that there's no way they could ever entertain the idea of a romantic relationship with any of them. And they are <laughs> eliminated. Roby Sobieski and the twins, we savored your suffering. And then they ITM, they being Gabby and Rachel, they ITM a this false idea of control over any of this, that it's their decision at the end of the day. The producers were the ones who came to them and probably said, maybe after they even said something to the producers like, ah, we need to talk to these other guys. The producers were the ones who were like, okay, look, here's what we can do. What do you guys think about that? Then they conscripted them into doing these fake little acting bits. How did you feel about the cheers with the empty champagne glasses? Terrible. All of this sucked. N having no rose ceremony at the end of a night one is just like, it's a fucking betrayal of the game, in my opinion. Absolutely terrible. We're not going to have our cues. It's a direct attack on Gore. I think everybody gets a zero pointer. That's how I that's how I think wow. we have to play it. But that's huge for for these players. Yeah. We get a cheers to love. And then this season on The Bachelorette, we see our promo, cruise ship, Paris, hot tubs, kissing, wedding dresses, guys, screaming and running, football fields, kissing, windmills, double dates, rain, Eiffel Tower, fantasizing about getting engaged on the same day, football, swimsuits, reprisal of the vomit comet from the Vial season 21. I don't know if you saw that. Helicopter, portable hot tub that's reprised from Matt James season 25 and JoJo's Bachelorette season. The guys are having a tough time deciding between them. The two leads, Rachel and Gabby, talk to one another about the guys having the control and that being in Gabby's words, her nightmare. So 
she's openly saying that the thing they didn't want to happen, the producers are making it happen. Rachel has a rose fucking rejected. Rachel's in tears, says it's cruel for them to be put in this place together. That's correct. That's what the show is. Cruelty, suffering. That's what the producers want to visit upon you, and so they do. Somebody else declines someone's rose. Gabby is crushed by guys deciding what they want. There's tears. Somebody called them a very nasty word. We don't know what what that's going to be all about, who said it, or if it's true. There's more tears. Gabby thinks she's too broken for anyone to love because of this process. Some uh, dude has to tell them the, the full truth, whatever that is. There's more tears. Logan still has feelings on the other side, he says. Rachel says she's such a failure as a bachelorette. She would rather be alone. And then Gabby and Rachel cry together. The season looks like exactly what we expected, in my opinion. Explicitly designed to destroy the leads in a way that we have never seen on The Bachelorette. They're completely broken down. We're seeing, you know, Rachel crying on the ground, a reprisal of the trauma that they are joking about Clayton having inflicted upon them. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well... Unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended. This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This whole episode roasting the shit out of Clayton. I mean, they roasted Clayton from the beginning of his season, you know, when they had him come out and read mean tweets about him. Yeah. They've been bullying him the whole time. You know, here's, in my opinion, I mean, this episode isn't over. Let's let's go through the episode. There's one more piece of it. And then I can kind of like, I think we should get into our, our takeaways from this. But there is a tag. And in the tag, the two crowns are talking to Blanco the horse as he is strutting his stuff all over the driveway of the mansion. And as Blanco was shitting his brains out in an homage to the shitting donkey from season 25, he became my... <laughs> creature of the week. DLP even has to come out and shovel Blanco's shit. 
Blanco is basically saying, this is my show. This is my mansion. Shovel my shit, Dark Lord. I loved everything Blanco did this episode. One of the best creatures we've ever seen. For beating Gabby's dog and the two little shitting duck chicks, Blanco and Blanco's amazing diarrhea play was my... Creature of the week. If you're getting the full tag, if you're getting your full name, if you're getting more attention than the person riding upon you, you're going to be my creature. Couldn't agree more. But that wraps up night one. Who was your MVP? For using neurolinguistic programming, NLP, <laughs> to secure that FIMP rose, which is a first impression rose, Mario was my... M M M M V I was so entertained by him throughout this episode. He's so engaged with what's going on, narrating this and that, working his second audience game, working his first audience game. Just enjoyed the whole thing. And he might be getting a little villain at it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think he will probably later in the season. I look, I agree though. Fantastic play. He deserves the MVP. I had a different MVP. Yes, who was your MVP? <laughs> For representing the magical arts in our beloved game, Roby Zobieski was my MMMMMVP. Now I know what you're saying. I oh, gave him my error of the game. <laughs> and he got dismissed. One of only three players out of a field of 32 that got kicked off and the other two were <laughs> twins. Look, I know, I know, okay, but MVP is a subjective award. I'm giving it to my favorite player, my most valuable player. And as I'm watching this, I love magic and it was great to see a magician step out of a limo, do a magic trick, do another magic trick in his one-on-one -on -one time or two-on-one -on -one time. And yes, he was not long for this world, but I give him props for trying to make magic go mainstream in The Bachelor. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be incredibly biased, but as yeah. I know, all of our awards are completely objective and the truth, so I'll accept it. Thank you. So before we close out, what are your general thoughts? How are you feeling about our first dip into Two Crowns? I'm feeling like Windekia is about to go through trauma. Yes. I, yeah. I feel like they focus way too much on them having those little one-on-ones, not enough about the players. I didn't like that they didn't do intro packages. Like, who am I watching? There's several blonde dudes that look very similar to me and is confusing. Yeah, just was hoping for a little bit more, but... I agree. It was... I think the producers didn't know how to do this, and I think they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants a little. That's why we had this... Uh, nullified rose ceremony in the end where they allow them to, in quotes, change the rules. The producers are changing the rules because they're like, fuck, what are we going to do? Because they only talk to like 10 guys. Are they going to get rid of the other 20? Like they have really no viable way, the producers don't, of knowing who they want in the show. That's why they're keeping them all around. They need to figure out who the villains are, who the fucking dynamic duos are going to be because they didn't get to see enough of them. 
So I think just at its face, the producers have, again, shit the bed, as they do almost every season now. That said, I do think the two-crown system is going to produce more suffering than we've ever seen. And Mm -hmm. that is the game we watch. That is why we watch. I don't think there is a love story that will come out of this in any significant way. I mean, there might be a ring, there might be a proposal, there might be an engagement that lasts for six months, but there's nothing coming out of this season. It is going to be almost impossible, I think, for anybody to walk out of this process and be like, okay, now we can uh, you know, spend time after the show, build our relationship and love each other after you're going to have to watch this shit back that one guy is fucking playing both sides or they both like one guy or whatever the fucking case is, you know. It's just, there. there is no way. Recipe for disaster from the beginning. Unless every player, all legs, one baskets, it's going to be a chaotic, chaotic mess. And I, and I think because of that, it's going to be the most produced season in a while. I mean, we're already basically watching scripted play scenes, but I am looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, no, totally. It feels so good to have the fucking game back in season. And this offseason was so necessary to like get that the the taste for it back in your mouth and like to get excited about it again. I'm, I'm definitely very excited about the continuation of this season because, like I said, the sauce wars are full swing now. Like shots are being fired in every piece of the document that producers are making, whether it's the show or these podcasts or whatever. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen in the next weeks to come as people are coming off the show and going on clickbait and going on happy hour and what will totally. be the narrative that they're they're turning out. That's going to be fascinating to watch. I feel like our next Digging Deepers are going to be some of our best yet. <laughs> oh my God. They're going to have to maintain this idea that Gabby and Rachel are still best friends through all of this. That's going to have to be upheld. That like, well, you have to wait and see if they find love and and, and, and all this shit. It's just going to be straight lies right to your fucking face on every one of those podcasts. It's going to be unreal. (laughs) Gabby and Rachel are going to have to do like a fake relationship. Like keep the... We'll pay you twenty thousand dollars if you keep the <laughs> ring for six months and like do photo shoots together and stuff. They give them each two hundred thousand dollars at the end. You have to buy a house together now in Minnesota. They have done such damage to them that their gift for them in the end is just Gabby and Rachel get a a vacation together. <laughs> totally. And the the weird thing about this one is they're going to be victimized again in the end of this. We already have seen it in the promos that they're like sobbing in heaps on in various locations around wherever they are. They're going to try and pin that on a guy, even though it's the producers. It was very easy to do it in in Bachelor 26 because there is only one guy. It's Clayton. He He, in quotes, made all these choices. But here... It's going to be a little bit more of a weird dance the producers have to do to believably pin the blame of, on whatever kind of emotional destruction is going to happen on one of these dudes because the dudes are in a weird position. Like, it's it's not just one guy being an asshole. It's like, well, you told me to be open and pursue both relationships. That's what I'm doing too, just like you guys are with all of us. There's a The guys are like a little bit exonerated unless they're doing actively malicious shit. I mean, we are going to see a show that hasn't been that good about boundaries and having... Because, you know, if people had good communication on the show, you wouldn't have a show. But we're going to see... I'm very curious about the all eggs, one basket thing. Yeah. Is it 
just going to be like, oh, well, I was very honest the whole time I was dating both of you. You know, it just gives so much power back to the men. It's unreal. Like it's Gabby's worst nightmare. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's the cherry on her cherry pie or <laughs> the, the fucking <laughs> the best thing ever that could have possibly happened yeah. for me. God. Yeah, this season's going to be a doozy, but thank you guys for joining us. And thank you, Pace Case, for sticking through another season. I'm looking very forward to, to breaking this one down with you. This was our night one. We will be back on Friday with This Week in Bachelor Nation, where we're going to uh, discuss everything that's going on across everybody's social media. And we're going to get back into gains. We're going to be breaking down all the big movers and shakers across Instagram and specifically keeping an eye on Gabby, Wendy, and Rachel Recchia, who is going to take mm-hmm. that lead and how big will that lead get over the course of this season? The Blanco race. <laughs> we should be ch- we, checking out Blanco. If anybody has Blanco's Instagram, please DM us that. We name the the horse race of Gabby and Rachel after our favorite shitting horse, Blanco. That's right. The Blanco horse race. <laughs> But thanks again, everybody, for joining us. And as always, before we go, what is that bat? It has been 7,415 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be Dark Lord Palmer. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then 